And stay tuned. Coming up next is an encore presentation of the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell. Mercy decided to take the day off to recover from her recent trip to Austria, and we'll hear more about that next week on the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell. Welcome to the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell, where we find the wonder in your story. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 35 years of experience applying the science of relationship systems to my practice of psychotherapy and leadership consulting. My intuitive skills allow me to bring clarity and vision to your challenges. I hope you will be surprised in the next hour. Good morning. This is Mercy Russell with a remarkable relationship show. My goal in the show is to bring a fresh perspective to you on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. In my 40 years of working as a psychotherapist, I have been continually amazed at the ways in which people overcome challenges. I hope to share my experience, insights, and to stimulate your thinking. Um, my goal with this show eventually is to talk to you with open phone lines. Um, today we're having an interview. So, however, you may also ask me any questions um, on the, on, when we have a call-in show, and I welcome your comments also. Um, in the meantime, my website is leadershipwithmercy.com. Please join my mailing list. You may also email me <clears throat> at mercybrussell at gmail.com. A podcast of each show is on the 1150kknw.com website. The video version is on their YouTube channel as well. And both of these, as well as the transcription, will be posted on my website soon. So today, however, um, my, my guest is Mark Getty, also known as the Irish Hulk. Mark is Hi. <laughs> Hi, Mark. <laughs> Mark is a champion bodybuilder and owner of the Elite Health and Fitness Gym in Lisburn, Ireland, outside the city of Belfast. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, that's 100 percent right. Okay. He and he he trains in his gym and also virtually via video calls. I was yep. introduced to Mark as a personal trainer by Kim Constable of the Sculpted Vegan. She's also Irish. In addition to winning over a hundred titles as a competitive bodybuilder, Mark has trained many other title-winning bodybuilders. Why is he my trainer? Uh, my goal is not to be a competitive bodybuilder. <laughs> However, his passion, his true passion, is bringing his experience and knowledge to anyone seeking a path to sustainable health and fitness and improved body composition. I chose him because of his personal and professional experience as a father of five children, maintaining a high level of fitness in a balanced lifestyle. As a competitive athlete for over 20 years, he knows how to persist and gain strength and fitness despite injuries and setbacks. Uh, and that was pertinent to me. So <laughs> Mark has a compelling story of his entry into bodybuilding. He evolved through stages of using his sport to achieve independence after tragedy in his family, to elevating his success and lifestyle in a relationship network in his community, a fortunate, what I call a fortunate marriage and a commitment to a healthy family. So Mark, now it's time to talk to you. Welcome. Welcome, thank you very much, Mercy, for having me on. It's an honor and a pleasure. So it is, so I'm looking forward to seeing what you have for me today. <laughs> oh, great. Well, 
my experience talking to you, I don't think we're going to have a lot of trouble. Both Mark and I are talkers. Both Mark and I are talkers, and he's Irish and spins a great yarn, <laughs> no matter what the subject. Definitely. So, so I, I like to, of course, start with your background, so we can get yeah. some history. And this, of course, is the beginning of your story. Uh, yeah. In terms of, I I don't know if you you probably didn't see, but um, you know, I've titled this. Um, show today with a quote from your bio, which is overcoming fear and building the mental strength to su succeed. Because I think that that really, in a way, captures many of your accomplishments. So Definitely. you grew up in Belfast, is that correct? No, I grew up in a wee town called Draperstown, uh -huh. which is basically about 45 minutes outside of Belfast. It's a wee country town with maybe a population of about two or 3,000 in it, you know? So very remote, very country, very laid back attitude and very much, you know, nice people, but very set in their ways in terms of sport and, you know, different things, do you know what I mean? So um, a lot of Gaelic hurling, you know, typical Irish sports were sort of the, the flavor of the day in Draperstown. Right, so a little more kind of conservative country people, we would say. Traditional and conservative, yes. Yeah. Now, tell, I've never asked you this, but is your family Irish on both sides? So, yeah, both of them are Irish, yeah, so they are. So going all the way back, your family's been living in Northern um, Ireland? I think, I, I think so, yeah. I'm not 100%. I've never really delved back into the roots. I know my mother was originally from Draperstown, so she would be Irish straight the way back. My father was originally from Ballymoney in a different part of Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there was English roots or British roots there at some stage, um, but all the ones that I would know on his side of the family was Irish. But I'm sure if you delved into it, there'd be roots uh, across the water as well. But my mum's is definitely Irish, 100%. Uh-huh. Okay. So, you know, for a, a, this is a, a primarily, I think, at this an American audience and for us I was just sort of thinking you know wow what would it be like to be from a family where everybody for generations has sort of lived in the same place so anyway yeah. that's sort of intriguing now just to, to tell us the beginning of your story it started when your mother was sick yeah so I basically grew up like I say in that small town and uh, played Gaelic played Harlem played soccer um, typical upbringing for an Irish boy, you know, school, out, and, out with his friends in the evenings and weather permitted, just always out. I always was fond of the outdoors and never could sit down. I just was this child with abundance of energy. So I always liked to be doing things, but I was always competitive. So even in, this, even in the sports industry or the sports at that stage, I always liked to win. I always hated to be in the losing side. And it used to wind me up whenever uh, the teams get beat and people didn't show up properly or didn't show up to training. So that was from an early age. I had that sort of will to win or competitiveness in me, you know. Um, so with that there in mind, uh, my mother basically took sick. She, I, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer when I was 16. I was going through my GCSEs, which are basically the leaving certificates to get into, you know, uh, college and then into university over here in Ireland. Um, Basically, didn't take the news too well. Uh, the mother in our house is like typical Irish families, the sort of cornerstone to the house. So anytime I had an issue, it was always my mother I came to. My first girlfriend, I had came to my mother. My first breakup and tears thinking my life was over, I came to my mother. So whenever she was diagnosed with that, it was just, it just sort of rocked, it wrecked my world because, you know, I always had this family sort of unit. It was normal. The upbringing was good. So, uh, you know, you started questioning, you know, you started questioning everything, your faith, um, everything to do with why has this happened, you know? Um, so when that happened anyway, uh, within six months of the diagnosis, she was she was dead. So basically by that stage she died. Um, I took it bad um, and basically I had no outlets. You know, I was kind of thinking, I was lost for want of a better word, you know, and around an Irish funeral, there's a big deal made of it. So there's a lot of people and surreal and everything's going on. It's not until the days after that you actually find yourself dealing with the dramas and the loneliness and everything else that proceeds. So my father at the time basically got me one of my cousins to take me under his wing for training. Now, I trained in the gym, but I trained in the gym all wrong. I was doing three hours a day, training every body part, sort of keeping fit, but at the same time thinking I knew what I was doing. So he took me under my wing. He was the first guy that I had seen up close and personal that resembled a bodybuilder, and I liked the way I looked. Mm -hmm. So before that, it was in the movies like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, mm -hmm. and I always liked that look of strength and power 
and and you know that sort of that sort of luck and the training that went down to it. So whenever he took me under his wing, it sort of came at a great time because it was a good way for me to release that sort of anguish and anger and you know not deal with the grieving as such at that stage and deal with it my own way, which is to basically get into the gym. So as soon as he sort of done that and I get into the habit of training, I, I just literally immersed myself in the gym culture. So I done all the reading I could. I done all the the that people I met were all related to my goal. And I just basically took bodybuilding or at that stage training to a different level. I, I, I progressed fairly quickly, get rid of all the team sports because this is something I could do myself. Um, I was responsible for everything myself. I had nobody letting me down. I could turn up and train whenever I wanted. So it all, it all suited my needs at that time um, because I needed a new challenge and I needed some way to sort of vent my anger and get my grieving out. So, I sort of then moved to Belfast at university at 18 or 19 and realized up there that there was a bit more sort of um, interest in bodybuilding. There was more people doing it. So there was gyms that catered for that. Fell in with another fellow when I was in my first or second year of uni called Graham McConkey. And basically he took me under his wing then and pointed me in the right direction. And I remember a quote he said to me one time, I plucked up the courage to go over this big fella in the gym. And basically, I said to him, the only question I wanted to ask him was, how did you get so big? How did you do it? What did you do? And he turned around and he said to me, um, can you stick at something when it's boring? And I kind of looked at him and thought, yeah, I think so. And he says, and can you eat? And I was like, yeah, we can eat those, but can you really eat? And I was like, yeah, I can really eat. He goes, well, if you can stick at something boring and you can eat, you'll make it in bodybuilding. And I remember sort of walking away disappointed with the advice he'd given me because I was thinking he was going to give me all these training tips or diet tips or, you know, get big tips. And I kind of walked away going, what, what, what does that even mean? And it wasn't until about five to 10 years later that I actually thought, and it was a guy I was chatting to one time in a, in a gym and somebody said to me, what was the best piece of advice you ever got? What was the most sincere piece of advice you ever got? And I remember thinking back of all the things I've been told in bodybuilding and shown, that was by far the truest reflection of what bodybuilding meant. It's about doing the mundane things over and over again um, and the hope that at some stage you're going to progress and also shoveling copious amounts of food into you in order to make yourself grow. So like I say, that was the early stages of how I got into bodybuilding. At that stage, I had no interest in competing. I just enjoyed the process of training. And obviously with my competitiveness, I enjoyed trying to push myself to see how far and how good it could become. Right. So I just, I think to highlight certain things that were happening for you, especially as, you know, in, in uh, perspective of where you've, how you've evolved since then, at this point, the bodybuilding gave you a very clear goal and you were in control of your own destiny, right? Yep. This was very much uh, in a way, a very healthy and um, step toward independence. You, yeah. you didn't have to rely. You, you, your family had sort of fallen apart and in a way, and you're, yeah. you didn't have to rely on anyone else. And, and you also mentioned to me that there, was a, that there had been a shift in the bodybuilding culture from people training in a group to people training individually. Yeah. Yeah. I think back in the day where, where I was from in Draperstown, unless you were playing football or had a bat in your hand, you know, that was the only sports they knew. Um, mm -hmm. So they all trained as team. It was all team orientated, the county orientated, the, pro, you know, the, the, the town orientated. Um, so I think whenever I moved to Belfast and seen everybody training in a different way and for different reasons, it sort of excited me a wee bit because I didn't have to depend on anybody. So, we all went into the gym as individuals and trained. But what I found as you got to know these guys, they were nice fellas. They were interested in the common goal and the camaraderie in the gym was very good. So even though you were into the gym on your own, these guys would have helped you progress and helped you out. And I think because I was young and I was sort of, you know, I was sort of curious, but at the same time, they could see me coming back day in, day out, knocking my pan in. They thought to themselves, I'm going to give this wee child a hand, you know. Uh -huh. So even though it was 18, it was sort of, these guys were all in their 30s, 40s, 50s, uh -huh. you know. Um, and like when you got to know them, they, start, they looked intimidating at the start, as a lot of people have said I do whenever I'm sitting in the gym. But whenever you got to know them, they were actually the most helpful people you could have had because, because you were showing interest in what they enjoyed doing. They then reciprocated it by helping you get to where you wanted to go. So in a way, there was a team element, but you were doing it yourself. And what I enjoyed about it was, 
at that stage, I think with my mother being dead and me depending so much on her and not so much my father, I think for me, I didn't really want to depend on anybody anymore. Do you know what I mean? Because I think mm-hmm. the big part of me was she had left me, although it was, you know, not her choice. And I sort of then didn't want to put that trust or thing in anybody else. So that's why I enjoyed the sort of independence, the training on my own. I was capable for my own goals. I could take responsibility for my own actions. And I think at that period in my life, it actually came at a proper and good time because I think bodybuilding, I know a lot of people say such and such saved my life, but I genuinely look back and think if I hadn't found bodybuilding or training when I did, I definitely could have went down a different path, you know? Right. You were also you were also in the university too. Yeah, yeah. So you had, and you you went through a master's level in the university, I went correct? to master's level. I'd yeah. done that for my mother. My mother said whenever she was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. she wanted me to go to university. So I thought to myself, I'm going to, I'm going to hate her wishes. And by that, but early on in that, a lot of the guys were sort of saying, do this, do that, you know? So I always wanted to go to uni. And then I had that independence of moving up to the big city and living there on my own, you know, away from sort of, I'm not saying I wanted to get away from my father and things like that, but it was nice just to get away out on my own, pursuing what I wanted to do. And it was sort of that, I wouldn't say it was the dying wish, but it was one of her last wishes that she had said to me to go to university and get a good career. So I ended up following that path in sports and business right through to master's level. And I think at 23, uh, I then left university with not a clue what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. Right. So now, was, and, and so, but it was about when you were 23 that you started competing, correct? Yeah. yeah. I'd done my first show on my last year, my master's degree. Uh-huh. So, uh, because but, I remember yeah. going to England and getting a bollocken when I came back from my tutor because I'd missed a few days in the lectures, you know? Um, <laughs> so it was about that time that I started uh-huh. competing and I actually won my first show that I did. It was a first timer show. I actually entered it as a bet with one of my friends who told me I couldn't diet. He says, you're all right training, you like training, but you'll not be able to stick to a diet. And I said, right, well, the show's in 20 weeks. We fell into a taxi driver, um, getting a taxi from one of the bars to another bar in Belfast. He bet me that I couldn't do it. I bet that I could. 20 weeks later, I was standing on stage holding the first first place trophy that I, that I would have won, you know? Right. So, well, well. So, tell us though a little bit about that training. What kind of discipline that required in that first twenty weeks? Was, in the, the, the first, first one was strange because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, <laughs> right. sort of. I had this guy that was friendly with me that sort of said he could get a diet from a fella. So we followed this diet, and I remember the diet well. The first meal was oats and eggs in the morning, and the second to sixth meal, so second, third, fourth, and fifth was rice, chicken, and broccoli, and just drinking water. And I followed that diet religiously for 20 weeks. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I, I think you tried to foice that diet on me too. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice. It's not nice. I, I would, it's the first time and the only time I ever did it. Do you know what I mean? But uh-huh, right. back then, I didn't actually realize this is what I thought you had to do to get in shape. The guy that gave it to me was more versed. So I thought I'm going to do it. I was training seven days a week. I was doing cardio for up to two to three hours a day. Uh, I basically done everything that I would tell you not to do now. You know, what I mean? <laughs> so how I actually won the show was beyond me because uh-huh. I really done, I really overtrained, I underate, I done everything that you would say as a cardinal sin now. But I got into shape. Um, I felt like, oh, I felt like I had to be a truck for the last four to six weeks. But I just persevered. Came to the show. Um, I was sitting backstage at the show, and I remember thinking to myself, "What are you doing? You're about to go out on the stage in front of a thousand people." and a pair of, you know, hot pants, basically, and uh, a pair of, you know, Speedos and a tan. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And a realization hit me that what I was actually doing, because I hadn't a clue how to pose. I hadn't a clue how what I was doing on the stage. I just went out and absolutely won it. I just literally Mm -hmm. copied the guys beside me. was all over the place. And when they announced my name in first, I genuinely couldn't believe it, you know? But that was the start of things to come. I kind of thought to myself four to six weeks out, I will never do this again. This is the only time I'll do this. If you told me to do another show at that stage, I would have told you no chance. And after a one, I got the bug. And 20 years later, we were still competing, you know? Yes. But I love your um, little story about... um, uh, Just a second. I I, I love your little story about what... When you were standing there in your Speedo facing the stage... Yeah, and you thought about what your options were. 
Yeah, my options because you, were because you didn't want to go on stage. I didn't want to go out. I would. I literally had a moment of sort of realization. This is when it hit me what I'm actually doing. And the two options were one, get on the stage, or secondly, go out through the backstage door onto Belfast Street, where there was thousands of people walking about, <laughs> wearing only a pair of speedos and a, an orange-colored tan. And the only thing stopped me was I'm going to look better on the stage with people that look like me than I would walking around Belfast, tanned up and a pair of speedos on me. Right. I think yes. if there would have been a different route out, I might have took it because uh, the nerves hit me, the, everything just dumped, and it was literally, I was, I was, it was never, it was probably one of the most times that I felt out of control in my life. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. That yeah. I, I was completely out of my depth. And I couldn't even tell you, I didn't enjoy the stage. So people say I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy one minute of it. I couldn't wait to get off it once I had won it. Mm -hmm. And then you won it. So was won that, it, yeah. that, that was a huge surprise, right? It was, you know, I looked at the other guys and I thought, well, I have what they have, but I still thought, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here. These guys have probably prepped a wee bit better. Um, but yeah, I won it and I came back and a few of the guys said to me, look, for a first timer, you're going to go places, et cetera, et cetera. Would you do another one? I was like, nope, that's me done. I would say within six weeks, I was planning for another one. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just want to mention for the audience, you know, who's not so familiar with bodybuilding that, you know, building the physique is you know, building up the muscles is one stage. The second stage is what they call, that's called, is the second stage is shredding, which is yeah. getting down to very low body fat so that the muscles yeah. show, right? So it's, you know, it's a matter of having to, I mean, it's not something you can sustain, but it's an, in order no. to get on stage, you have to cut as much fat as you can. And so yeah. people are often what they're down at 10% fat or something. Yeah. Really. And it's, um, and then um, the other part is the posing. So the part you didn't know anything about is there's, it's almost like a dance on stage. You know, you yeah, have to, know how to pose to show all the different muscles that you've developed. Right. So, and I know that there are different types of, you know, shows and different goals for it. So what, um, so tell me a little bit more about your accomplishments with competing. I want to move on to other parts of your life, but. Yeah, so basically I've won the Northern Ireland. The Mr. Northern Ireland have won it up to nine times. So it's like first timers, intermediates, novice, Mr. Class won an overall bodybuilding title. I've won, I've been Mr. Britain. I've been Mr. Europe, pro Mr. Europe, uh, Mr. World, pro Mr. World, uh, pro Mr. Ireland, and then Mr. Universe as well. So every title within the federation that I've competed in, I've won at some point or another. Um, and then I'm still toying with the idea of whether I'm retired yet or not. You know, uh -huh. there's uh -huh. part of me wants to come back and enjoys the lifestyle. And then there's other parts of me doesn't want to go back through the rigorous diet and again, because I'm enjoying eating and, 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 and <laughs> living a normal life at the moment that I don't know if I want to do it. But there's mm -hmm. weeks I want to do it and weeks I don't. So I still would love to get back on the stage and potentially do a master's category, another shot at the pros. And one of the main driving forces for that now is I want my kids. My kids have consistently talked about wanting to see me on stage because obviously I was competing when they were younger and the two younger ones have never seen me. And I kind of would love to do it again just to kind of give them, you know, a wee day away or a wee week away seeing their daddy up on stage, you know. Um, so I think that, so I think if truth be told, I probably will, go again at some stage just for that. And obviously they add more titles to the belt because it wouldn't be going there to get beat, you know? Right, right, of course. <laughs> I, um, because you are a winner, right? Um, I'm very competitive. That hasn't stopped just because I've got older, you know? Uh-huh, right. Or, yeah, despite your injuries or setbacks. <laughs> no, we're still going to get yeah. over that uh, and make it a triumph. Um so I, the next thing I want to ask you about is Lee, your wife, yeah. because, you know, she is not a minor part of your story. She's you know, very central. Um, and um, we're getting close to taking a break, but can you just tell me, tell us briefly how you met and then we can talk more about it after the break. So I was basically dieting for the 2006 bodybuilding Mr. Northern Ireland, one of the Mr. Northern Ireland's and, uh, I was out one night, my, my friend at that stage, one of my best friends had split up with his wife and he basically wanted me to go out with him. So I decided I would drive out that night and lift him, get him out of the house just to take his mind off for a wee bit. And 
I was in a bar in Belfast and Lee was over in the corner and I remember just seeing her. But by that stage, all I had a notion of was to get home, to go to bed because I was tired from all the training and the diet, you know. Um, so she came walking over at the end of the night and basically started speaking to me. Um, she I took her number and said I would give her a text in the morning. She was obviously drinking that night, so she probably doesn't remember any of this because the argument back and forth between me and her is who approached who first. But I was definitely approached by her, not the other way about, you know. Um, and you don't, you don't drink, right? So I don't drink. No. So I was in this Irish she, pub culture, just to be clear about that. You're, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I don't yeah, drink. So yeah. we and her met anyway. She left, I left. Uh, the next morning, about nine o'clock, I give her a text and uh, she said to me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm up doing cardio. And I think that was the realization that had her, that I was sober that night. So she kind of took a wee bit of a embarrassment to see what she had actually done so we got chatting one thing led to another we arranged to meet up she actually cooked me dinner um and then that was it basically from there everything just flourished you know uh we, we started dating we seen each other a lot we spent a lot of time in each other's company even when i was getting ready for the show it just clicked very quickly for me and her you know and mm -hmm. to be honest with you i kind of knew early on that she was the one there was a few things that she did that really made me sort of think, wow, that's amazing that she's willing to do that. You know, one of the things quickly I'll note on was um, I was actually in the process of opening up my own gym with a friend. He let me down last minute. And I remember saying to Lee, and she basically said, look, I'll put my house up as collateral for your loan. Now, we were only going out six months at that stage. And for me to look at her and go, you know, I won't let you do it. But it kind of made me think this, this, you know, this woman will support you regardless. You know, this isn't some of these flings or a wee quick relationship this is actually this is the way she's thinking like you know so i kind of think that was a stop that was a thought for me to kind of think you know somebody to do that and want to do that for you to help you that was definitely a keeper you know and in the bodybuilding world you know a lot of it revolves around ego and selfishness and things like that so for somebody that was so selfless and wanted to see you succeed even after only six months it sort of took me by surprise, you know, mm -hmm. because by up to that stage, like I mentioned, I was very independent, doing my own thing when I wanted, with who I wanted, you know, the bodybuilding. And then I was kind of going, what? what? You know, it sort of brought that back that there is right. help there. You just have to think. And I think that was the bit that sort of, that was the sort of clincher for me that this is definitely going places, you know? Yes. So that's the, that's the, the sort of, I guess, the next level of your, of your evolution was, yeah. going from this very, very, in a way, very productive independence to really finding a very, you know, important and healthy way to be, to be in connection and relationship that then also continue to further your development. So we're going to take a break now. Um, just a couple minutes. This is Mercy Russell of the Remarkable Relationship Show. Um, my guest today is Mark Getty, a, a champion bodybuilder from Northern Ireland and, and owner of the Elite, Elite Health and Fitness Gym in Lisburn. Um, and we'll be back after a couple of minutes. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Noor with your health tip of the day from the African-American Wellness Project. Asthma affects 25 million people nationwide, and every day 10 people die with it, with African-American women and children being most at risk. Early warning signs include coughing, especially at night, or with exercise and wheezing. Almost all asthma can be effectively managed with a good action plan. So talk with your doctor today, and for more information, visit aawellnessproject.org. Hi, tune in to my new show, The Remarkable Relationship Show, with me, Mercy Russell. I bring a fresh perspective on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. And you can visit my website at leadershipwithmercy.com. Alternative Talk 1150 is your sports organization's safe bet when it comes to airing your team's games. Our players are all seasoned professionals when it comes to sports programming. Imagine your games being heard on local radio. Your team deserves the MVP treatment. Call 425-653-1150 today to learn how affordable and fun it is to broadcast your games on the radio. Call 425-653-1150 and make your next season something special. That's 425-653-1150. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk 1150. 
And stay tuned. Coming up next is an encore presentation of the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell. Mercy decided to take the day off to recover from her recent trip to Austria, and we'll hear more about that next week on the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell. Hello, this is Mercy Russell, and this is the Remarkable Relationship Show. My guest today is Mark Getty. He's a champion bodybuilder from Northern Ireland. And the theme of our show is overcoming fear and building the mental strength to succeed. So we've been talking about how Mark got into bodybuilding, his early accomplishments, and also then how he met his wife. So I am now, Mark, I, so you, when did you and Lee um, get married? 2011. 2011. Yeah. And tell me, you have five children, is that correct? Yeah, five children. Uh-huh. And how old are they? So one's 22, one's yep. 11, one's nine, one's four, and one's two. Okay. So, <laughs> so you have a really busy household, right? Busy, but very busy household. Never yeah. stops. But, but right. good, you know. I wouldn't swap it for the world, to be honest with you, you know. Yes. Now this is something Mark and I talk weekly, and um we talk every week. We uh, yeah. we're talking about the family, what's going on in the family, and also Mark, how you um how you're into how you integrate your your life as a business owner of a gym yeah. and then also being very present as an active father and parent in this young family yeah. so it's you know this is i think an and you've also talked a lot about how important that is in terms of your the work you do and the training yeah. that you do so can you, first of all, tell us a little bit about um, how, about your business and about your gym and how you got it started and then, um, you know, how it, what you've learned since you, you opened your gym, 2015, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So, so basically, as I was saying, whenever I met Lee, there was a gym in the pipeline and it never materialized. Um, mm -hmm. So I basically personal trained for a long time before I met Lee, during, and then obviously after when we were sort of going out back, right through to we were married. And I remember when we got married, we sort of had in the pipeline, we wanted to, to open our own business. And obviously with me being in the fitness industry, you know, having won multiple titles, uh, being one of the most successful prep coaches over here for bodybuilders, et cetera, et cetera, the business of choice would obviously be in the gym. So we actually opened it. I'm very good at saying I'm going to do something and, you know, putting the plan and never following through where Lee would be more, right, we'll just do it. You know, I would be talking about, say, getting the groceries and she would just have went and got them. So whenever I sort of said we're at a position now where we can do it, we just went and done it. We got a premises, um, sourced it out, and basically then went and opened the gym in 2015. Um, it was just an ideal step because it meant that I could take my personal training at that stage to another level while owning my own gym. And I always had a sort of vision of the way I wanted the gym with the equipment in the gym. So I was in total control of design and what way I wanted it, bringing the equipment in. And obviously then it opened in 2015. Usual nerves about it opening, and it's been open seven years now. Um, doing well. Um, and just basically it's something that me and Lee owns as a family. The kids are involved in it. It's just a nice sort of environment for training. And I think a lot of the training environment reflects on the owners and reflects on the sort of environment that you bring it in. So our environment would be very, very kid friendly. We're very orientated to fitness and helping people of all ages, of all sort of, you know, shapes and sizes of all abilities. It's never been a bodybuilding gym. Um, it's just been something for everybody, you know, and I think the mix and the blend of everybody training has worked well. Um, and it's somewhere that you feel happy and content to be part of. So it's sort of always been there um, at the back of my mind to open it. And then, like I say, we've done it and we're very, very proud of what we've done up to date. Um, we've been open now seven years. Obviously, two of them were COVID related, so we were closed. But in the six years or five years of running NABA titles, we've actually won the gym of the year four years out of five. You know, so that's basically getting points right. for putting people on stage and prepping them. So it's been successful and we've got great athletes and great people training out of it. So it's nice to be a part of and it's something that, like I say, me and Lee and even the kids are proud of. You know what I mean? Right. So just for my audience, uh, you, your NABA titles 
not only are for your gym, but also you also produce um, yeah. competitors who win NABA titles. And just tell us what NABA stands for. So NABA stands for National Amateur Bodybuilding Association. So that's one of the main federations in the world in terms of bodybuilding. NABA would be the longest established bodybuilding federation ever. So it's the one that's got the longest lineage for history from the Mr. Universe, which is where Arnold Schwarzenegger started off way back in the 50s and 60s, you know. So that's the titles and that's the, the federation that I would compete in. So it's the best federation or one of the best amateur federations in the world, you know. Um, so Northern Ireland obviously have a branch of that. The, the regional is called right. the NABA NA, runs once a year and they do a competition for the best gym. So the best gym is, you know, sort of judged on the competitors. So many people enters the placings of the competitors and then the scores are tallied. And then obviously at the end of the night, the best gym award goes for the gym that has produced the best athletes of the day. Mm -hmm. So out of the last five years where we have been in it, we've won it four out of five, you know? So I think that speaks for itself and the quality that's coming out of the gym over the past, you know, seven years, you know? Right. But, and you also though have a very strong commitment to the non-competitor, right? Yeah. And the reason I chose you was I was looking at possible coaches, many of whom were younger than I am. And um, I have had, I have arthritis and I've had some surgeries and I have some, I've had hip replacements. And I just know that I, I need to accommodate those, that aspect. And I knew I needed to work with somebody who would understand that. And what I could see with your maturity as a bodybuilder, uh, I think there was something in, you know, that you were also skilled at working with people who had had injuries. And I get, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but of course, 20 years of bodybuilding, you probably sustained some injuries yourself, right? So that's why I chose you. But could you talk more about that aspect of your, your, of your business and your commitment to helping people? I think at the very start, my look was always going to be bodybuilders because of what I'd done. But I think as I got older and had a family, I could relate a lot more to professional people that had families or businesses or had a lot of time constraints. Because I had to sort of change my training and my outlook on bodybuilding in order to suit the more important things in life, i.e. business, family, etc., etc. So it was only whenever I was faced with the, the, the task, so to speak, of kind of melding bodybuilding and training and everything you know having a healthy lifestyle i actually realized i enjoy this more i enjoy doing something to a competitive level that i can actually do in less time um training around injuries with a family running a business and being more efficient so i ended up getting to train we'll call it the the normal people that had busy lifestyles and i actually enjoyed it more because the one thing i actually realized was they're harder workers than most bodybuilders and they don't whinge as much as most bodybuilders do, you know? Mm -hmm. So my main clientele now, even in the gym for personal training is actually melded around normal people that just want to get results, that just want to lead a healthier lifestyle and just want to be happier in their life, you know? Um, and what I find is there's less egos, there's less self-centeredness. They've just got a common goal. And as I've sort of got older and I have my kids and stuff, my ethos has changed from looking good uh, to feeling good, to being healthier and for longevity. So that's the sort of variables that I would sort of train people in mind now. You know, I'm not as interested in the bodybuilding side of things, do you know what I mean? Because I've been there, done that. I'm more interested now in my own training, my own cardio, my own eating in order to help, you know, sustain life and sort of keep me healthier so that I can run after the kids every day and I'm not sitting out of breath, you know? Um, and I think the majority of my clients now are coming to me because I've got, I've got that balance. I've struck a balance where I'm saying, listen, you don't need to do three hours of cardio a day. You don't need to eat like a monk seven days a week. You don't need to train seven days a week, twice a day. You can actually sustain a healthy balance and a good life by doing a hell of a lot less that's going to fit into your schedule as a professional, a mom, you know, a busy mother, a busy father, a busy businessman. You know, all them things can be accounted for. And I enjoy trying to find the fit that suits the person. So a lot of the time now when people come to me about training, the first question I ask them is, well, what can you commit to? It's not about, you know, listening to such and such down the road that's doing seven days a week for three hours. What can you as a professional, you know, person commit to? Is it two days, three days, four days, and then sort of designing a plan that suits their lifestyle? And what I've found by doing that is people tend to stay on the course better. They tend to stay with it. 
they tend to not feel sort of overwhelmed by it and they've got the time to do it, which is one of the major factors. If you ask most people what's stopping them doing anything, it's always time. So it's about finding out how to suit that. So that's one of the main things and one of my best qualities the last while that I've been working with is actually people in different backgrounds, whether it's bodybuilding, non-bodybuilding, and actually structured plans around to suit their lifestyles. Right. So your focus has very much become about helping people develop their own goals, you know, accomplish their own personal goals. And I want to talk a little bit more about what you see that it takes for people to do that in the gym. And I think the gym is just, you know, it's a real, it's not just a metaphor. It's a real exercise, you know, in terms of, you know, building a, a, a productive life. But, um, but it also means that you are considering, you know, you're asking people to look at what they can do in the context of their life and their relationships and their commitments, yeah. right? Not only to work, but to their families, right? You're not asking people to give up their families or to, no. you know, spend, not spend time with their children in, and to come to the gym. So it, this has evolved from not only having a, you know, really being very independent and, and self-focused, which was really important for a while, to being able to then develop your own personal goals, but in the context of a, really a rich family life, which is what you have. I think I found, uh, you know, I would have said at the very start, bodybuilding was an individual sport. But whenever I met Lee and the kids, everybody said to me, oh, that's you now. You'll not be able to compete at a high level. You'll not be able to do this. And I actually found it easier to bodybuild with Lee and the kids about because I had that support structure. I had people that I could talk to. Lee would have helped me cook my meals. She would have done everything, everything for me in order to do that show. She was my best supporter, but she was also my biggest critic. So if I said to her, how am I looking? And she thought it wasn't looking good, she would tell me. So there was no lies. It was just completely open. And up to this day, she would be one of the main people that I would go to if I was prepping for a show just for the honesty. So for me, once I had Lee and the kids, I actually found bodybuilding easier. I was able to completely disassociate my bodybuilding and just train a lot more efficiently, do my cardio a lot more efficiently, eat more efficiently, but take myself completely out of the bodybuilding lifestyle, do what I needed to get to do shows and win and mm -hmm. still win at high levels. But then it all superseded, you know, the family unit and everything else and then when the business came along. So for me, bodybuilding was important. It was something I was enjoying. But I've seen the context of how non-important it was in relation to Lee and the kids, the business, et cetera, et cetera. And it actually put it in perspective and made it easier. A lot of people will turn around and say, no, I couldn't do it with kids. I was the opposite. I thought this is easy because, you know, my family comes first. So I'm never going to sacrifice my family for training. So if I had to pick between bodybuilding and family, I was always going to pick family. And I think that's why my training and bodybuilding evolved to another level where I learned how to do it without giving up anything do you know what i mean and that's what yeah. i try to teach people now that yes your family is more important than training but if you kind of keep yourself mentally stable physically stable healthy you're going to have a better approach to your family life too because you're going to be happier which will in turn make them happier so for me meeting lee and the kids actually made my bodybuilding and actually made my journey evolve which meant then i could help other people's life evolve you know um, and a lot of my clients now in the pt and even online um, are just happier more so than anything else you know a lot of them are happier mentally you know some of them come to me they don't care about say how they look it's more about how they feel do you know what I mean and, mm -hmm. and that to me is worth its weight in gold you know how, how a person feels you know and how a person radiates that outside of the gym you know is worth more than how they look and I think that's a big mm -hmm. concept that you know I try to instill now in people because training makes me feel great first and foremost I feel great going to the gym I feel good when I've trained. I feel better when I'm in a structured routine. And that then radiates across the family too. So that's something I try to provide across the board for people. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're bodybuilding, obviously, we have to go for a look. But most people, you ask them now what their interests are. A lot of them are to do with, you know, living longer, feeling better, being healthier. And that, to me, has come about full circle as opposed to looking better now. Right. So I have basically two questions. We, we have about 10 minutes left. And one yeah. is I want to, and I want to ask you to talk more about the 
characteristics that you see for people who are successful in meeting their goals? And then what do they do when they have setbacks? And in your case, as an athlete, it would, you know, just injuries, which is an important, you know, it's something that happens to most, you know, very competitive professional athletes, no matter what their sport. So I just, you know, would like to give you an opportunity to talk more about that. You and I talk about it quite a bit, but I, I think it's really important. Um, I think for me, having a clear goal is, is majorly important. You know, for me, the clear goal was when I was sitting watching NAB and I, I said, I want to be Mr. Northern Ireland. So once I brought that goal um, to life, so to speak, I worked at it. And I remember going to the seminar in Dublin. Uh, years and years ago, and it was with a fella called Tony Quinn, who was in the successful mindset, you know, and, you know, he was talking about books like The Secret and things like that, and how, you know, your mind, your body does what your mind, or your body follows your mind, so whatever you do, and I remember being sitting in one of the seminars with him, and it was actually, I was down to work in his gym, but what we had to do this two-week mindset seminar, which I thought at the start, you know, this is going to be useless, but we'll sit here and do it, and I remember one thing he said to me, he said to me about you know, the, the class in general, he said about bigging up your goal. So, you know, take your goal, make it massive, you know, put it in the cinema life screen, make noise on it, you know, get give it sound, give it, you know, colours. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, is this really necessary? But when I walked away from that, I sort of got what he was talking about. So whenever I was getting ready for shows, I always used to envisage me winning the show. I envisaged the crowd going mad. I envisaged my posing song that I was walking out to, I envisaged the judges saying my name, I envisaged me, how I would react when the judges said my name, and I remember the 2011 Northern Ireland was one of the shows that the, every time I was on the treadmill, I played this over and over and over in my mind, and I remember walking out in 2011 and basically playing out what I had done thousands of times and training thousands of times when I was doing my cardio, and literally played it out to the same degree. The song that I was posing to, the crowd going mad, the cheering, and my name being announced and my name being raised. And even now when I'm thinking about it, I'm getting hair standing mm -hmm. on, my, on, my, on my arms, you know, just thinking about that, that sort of vision. So, you know, whenever I sort of locked into my mind a wee bit and thought, whatever I want to do here, it's me. I can do whatever I want. I just have to, you know, do it. I have to plan through it. I have to be meticulous with my structure. I have to put, you know, all this effort in. And I also have to take responsibility for me. You know, if I lost right. the show, it's my fault. It's nobody else's fault. It's my fault. So every time I get beat, it's about coming back and being honest with yourself, how you've done, what can you do better, and then improving. And just basically taking that consistently, daily, in order to do that and never giving up. Having this attitude that if you got beat, you put it behind you and you move on. If you won, you came in and you assessed your strengths and weaknesses and you got back to work again. So for me, it's about having a clear vision of what you want to accomplish and achieve and then having the determination and the dedication and the consistency to do it on a daily basis, you know? Right. Well, and I you, think that's the attributes that I had, you know? I, well, you've also talked about just responsibility in terms yes. of not just even for competing reasons, life. but also, right, and also just in training, like, you know, when do people show up you know, to for their training appointments, you know, when do yeah. they follow through on the on the goal that they set for themselves? Um, One thing I found easy and I find it in life now was the thing it was to do with my bodybuilding was taking responsibility because I always took responsibility for my defeats and I always took responsibility for my wins. So for me, taking responsibility for anything in life, whether it's turning up to an appointment, uh, fighting a relationship and having to say, sorry, you know, sitting, sifting through where you're right or where you're wrong. I find it easy now, if I'm in the wrong, to take responsibility and to take ownership of that. And one thing I see in today's society from the gym and everything else is people's lack of responsibility and ownership. Um, and it baffles me how they can't do it because if you, to me, it's so simple. The more responsibility you take, the clearer and better your life becomes, you know? Right. So, um, and then also what about when there are setbacks? or injuries, or you get sick, or someone else gets sick, what do you do then? When you when you one, feel like one, you're falling off the rails? One time in particular, four weeks out from the Nava Mr. Universe in 2017, I tore my tricep off the bone. Um, and I remember doing it on a Monday night, I, I felt the pop in my elbow, I went to the surgery the following day, and he basically confirmed my worst fears. And I came back into the gym, Mercy, believe it or not, the next day and started training legs. 
And boys were coming over to me going, what are you doing? Are you going to compete? And I goes, I can't my triceps off and schedule for surgery on the Friday. Bar the fact that I was in surgery on the Friday and took the weekend off, I was back training on the Monday. And I sat the whole way through that prep not disappointed because it's one of them things. For me, you can, you can work out of two ways. You can look at it and go, I was pushing my body to the limit. It happened. Now I have to get over it and move on. And for me, having any setbacks, it's just having a positive mindset on everything. You know, I'm looking at it and going, right, this happened, but I can train my legs. Recently, 14 weeks out, as you know, I tore my bicep mm. and I had to train my legs three times a week. So I didn't go on about it. I just, you know, got over it. I put it behind me. There's nothing I could right. do about it. And it just sort of turned it into an advantage. So for me, in bodybuilding, these things happen. Setbacks happen. But it's how your mind and how you react to them determines whether you're, you want or lose. And for me, getting over an injury, training around it, finding a way. There's always a way around something that's just about finding a way yeah. around it rather than dwelling on the actual injury and the negatives. Find the positive, find the way around it, put a goal in or a plan, and then just start working towards that because it's always going to heal up. And for me personally, I always look at the bigger picture in life. You know, I'm healthy till a degree. I've got a wee injury, a wee knock. My kids are healthy. I'm healthy. I'm able to do this. I'm in, a, I'm in a good place in life. So just see the positives on it. For me, life's about seeing the positives in every way and always trying to work around it, regardless right. of the situation. You know, it's about never giving up, finding a positive and working around it so that you can come back better. Yeah. I found, I think the way I've picked that up too, is that, I mean, it's not a matter of pushing yourself hard with an injury. It's a matter of just staying steady and consistent. Yeah. And so if I go to the gym, I just go to the gym and maybe I can't do everything that day, but I do as much as I can. Exactly. So Mark, well, our time is just about up, but I want to just, you know, um, tell, I want to talk a little bit about how people can get in touch with you. Mark does training. She does it online. I, we, yes. I haven't been to Ireland, so, and I haven't been in his gym. I think like someday I will be. That'll be a little scary. Yeah, no, I mean, cause yeah. Mark, Mark's There's... really like, you know, he's a, he's a very good trainer and, um, and I've you. made progress, but he's available and, you know, to train at different levels. And, you know, I really encourage you to reach out to him. So his uh, website is www.theirishhulk.com and yeah. you can reach him by email at markgetty187 at gmail.com. And he's also on Instagram, The Irish Hulk, and yeah. on Facebook, Mark Getty. And he posts mm -hmm. regular motivational talks. So this is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. My guest today has been Mark Getty, a champion bodybuilder from Northern Ireland. And um, I encourage you to reach out. You can reach out to me at mercybrussell at gmail. And I uh, look forward to your comments or any questions. Thank you very much Thank for joining me today, Mark. And My pleasure. Yes. My pleasure. That was brilliant. Yes.